We've been working our way slowly through the book of Exodus, and we've arrived at Exodus chapter four, and we're going to take the entire chapter as our text this morning. Exodus chapter four, the second book of the Bible. Exodus chapter four. This is the word of God. The Lord has just appeared to Moses and revealed his name to him. And in Exodus chapter four we read, then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. And so he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. So Moses ran from it, but the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, then they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even those two signs, or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. And the Lord said, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know he can speak well. Behold, he's coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart, and you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs." Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. The Lord said to Moses and Midian, go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt, and Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power but I will harden his heart so he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, a a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness and meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord, which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he commanded him to do. And then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. And Aaron spoke all of the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. 
and the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. So far, God's word, and may the Lord bless the preaching of his word. So brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, excuses. We all make excuses, don't we? I wonder if some of you kids make excuses sometimes. I know that kids are very good at making excuses about why they don't need to go to sleep at this moment right now. When it's time for bedtime, kids can be really good at making excuses. I can't go to bed because I'm so thirsty. All of the parents have heard that one. Maybe some of you kids have used that excuse. Well, I can't go to bed, and then then something like, I can't go to bed because my socks hurt, or something silly like that. Or I can't go to sleep because I don't like the inside of my eyelids. Kids are really good at making excuses. How about adults? Well, adults are good at making excuses too. Excuses for stuff that they know they should do, but they really don't want to do. Sometimes Christians also make excuses for not doing the stuff that God wants them to do according to his word, and they come up with all kinds of excuses. Well, I I can't do that, or I could never do that. I could never do that because I don't have the energy, or I don't have the time, or I probably won't be able to finish it, or I'm just, I'm really just not that kind of person, or I'm too busy, or I'm too old, or I'm too young, I'm not, I don't have enough experience, or if I do that, I'd probably miss it up, mess it up. Like, I could never do that, it's not the right time, it probably won't work, someone else could do it better, I just don't feel it. Adults make excuses too. So why do we make excuses? Sometimes we make excuses because we just don't wanna go to bed. Or sometimes we make excuses just because we don't feel like doing it. But sometimes we also make excuses also as adults because we're afraid of something. Often behind our excuses is a bit of fear. A fear maybe of having to give something up in order to do something else. Sometimes we make excuses because we're afraid of responsibility or maybe we're just afraid of hard work or maybe we're afraid of making a mistake. We're afraid of failing. Afraid of embarrassment if we fail. Or maybe we're afraid that we just don't have what it takes or that if we try that, if we try to to do that, then what will happen is people will see that we're a fake, that we don't actually have it together. Sometimes we're afraid of failure. Sometimes we're afraid of success. Sometimes we're afraid to do something because if it works, then that changes our life quite a bit. Or we're afraid of change. We're afraid of uncertainty. And so we make up excuses, don't we, in our life? Also excuses for doing what is right according to the will of God. Some people have been making excuses their whole life long. What kind of excuses have you been making lately in your life? What kind of excuses have you been making to not do what you know the Lord wants you to do? Exodus chapter 4 is about Moses and his excuses. Moses really, really doesn't want to go and lead the people out of Egypt. 
And so he comes up with all kinds of excuses. They actually start in chapter three. In chapter three, verse 11, he says, who am I that I should bring Pharaoh, uh, go to Pharaoh and bring the children out of Egypt? He's just like, you know, I'm not good enough, who am I? That's his excuse. And then in verse one of the chapter we're looking at, but they won't believe me, they won't listen to me. In other words, the excuse is, well, I know you want me to do that, but it won't work, so I can't do it. And in verse 10, oh Lord, I'm not eloquent, I'm slow of speech and of tongue. I'm a terrible public speaker, I can't do it. I'm not right for the job. And in verse 13, oh Lord, just please send somebody else. You know, I'm not the right person for this. Now, as you read that, there, there is a certain amount of simple humility in all of that. Moses was a very humble person, scripture tells us. And it is true that when the Lord meets people like Abraham or David or Isaiah or Jeremiah, oftentimes they respond in, in a humble way that sounds like excuse. They say things like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm just a nobody. I'm, I'm not good for nothing. I'm a poor, poor dog. I'm a, I'm a child. You know, who am I to, that you would ask me to do that? And so there's a certain amount of humility that's there. We have that in our culture too. We, we show a little bit of humility when, when someone, for instance, someone gives you a gift and you say, oh, I can't receive this. It's too much, it's too much. You know you're gonna receive the gift. Right? But you say things to demonstrate some humility and politeness. I, I, I can't receive this, even though you know you're going to receive it. So it's a little, there's a little bit of that going on. Moses is, is humble. However, I, I found this to be interesting. John Calvin says this about, about Moses' excuses. He says, this over-anxious caution from Moses is deservedly condemned although it may have some mixture of virtue. So he's saying Moses' excuses, his over-anxious cautiousness, it might be mixed with a bit of virtue, a bit of humility, but it, it ought to be condemned. And then he says this, because whatever difficulty we encounter, this ought to be a sufficient encouragement to us. That as often as God chooses men as his ministers, although they are in themselves good for nothing, he forms and prepares them for their work. So you could, you could paraphrase Calvin there like this. Whatever difficulty you come across in the Christian life, here is what should encourage you. God does not call the equipped. He equips the called. That's what he's saying. When you're faced with difficulty in the Christian life, what encourages you is to remember that God doesn't call you because you're perfectly equipped for the job. But God calls, those he calls, he equips for the job. God does not call the equipped, he equips the called. And so that's the title of this morning's sermon. In Exodus chapter four, Moses needs to learn to stop making excuses. And maybe it's time in your own life to stop making excuses. To stop making excuses and start living the life that you know the Lord wants you to live to stop focusing on yourself and your fear and your weakness and your inability and instead to fix your eyes on the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth and on his power and recognize that God doesn't call the equipped or the qualified. He equips and qualifies those who he calls. So what's Moses' first excuse? Behold, they won't listen to me or listen to my voice for they will say the Lord did not appear to you. In other words, Lord, you just, you just revealed yourself to me in the burning bush. You're speaking to me in the burning bush. You've told me that you are the great I am. You are Yahweh, the God who saves. But your plan's not gonna work. That's my excuse. It won't work. 
You ever use that excuse for not doing what you know is right? Maybe not doing what is right in a relationship you're in and thinking, well, I'm not even going to do what the Lord says I have to do because it's not going to work anyways. What's God's response to Moses to that first excuse? Well, he doesn't get upset. He shows grace to Moses, and he gives him three signs, doesn't he? A staff that becomes a serpent, a hand that becomes leprous, and water that becomes blood. And those three signs Moses is going to use to talk to the people of Israel to convince them that it is God who sent them, and he's also going to use those signs later when he speaks to Pharaoh. But the point is, the point is this, really. Moses, you think it's not going to work, but it will work, not because of you, but because of me, because of my power, because I am who I am, and because I'm going to do something through your weakness, and it's gonna work. It's not about you, Moses. It's not about what you can do on your own, on the strength of your own might. It's about me working through your weakness, because I am Yahweh. I am the God who is and who saves, and I don't call the equipped, I equip the called. That's a good reminder for all of us. Whether you're parenting, or teaching, or preaching, or fighting poverty, whether you're, you're challenged with witnessing to a colleague at work, or you're just challenged in your prayers for your own family, whether you're dealing with the, the difficulties of marriage, or the difficulties of singleness, whether you're in a fight against modern day slavery or you're fostering a baby, whether you know you have to exhort a sinner or encourage a saint, whether you need to counsel a friend or sit on a school board, whether you have to make a visit as an office bearer or just help somebody who's in need, you have to remember this. It's not about you. And it's not about your qualifications. It's about God and about his power working through your weakness. And this is a lesson Moses had to learn and it's a lesson that we have to learn and I'm convinced Moses included this in scripture so we could learn it. Ephesians 6 doesn't say, stand firm in the Lord and in the strength of your resume, does it? It says, stand firm in the Lord and in the strength of his might. If you're doing what is right, if you're seeking to follow the Lord according to scripture, then you don't have to worry so much about whether you've personally got what it takes in order to get the job done. So you can take a deep breath and you can trust that the Lord will get done what he wants to get done through you and your weakness, through his power. So brothers and sisters, all of you who desire to do what is right but find yourself afraid, and find yourself making excuses for not doing what is right, remember that God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. Trust him with your lives and trust that he will give you what you need in order to do his will. Well, what's Moses' second excuse in verse 10? O oh Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and of tongue. I can't do it, Lord, I'm a terrible public speaker. Maybe he had a speech impediment. Maybe he had dyslexia. Maybe he was one of those guys who said especially instead of especially, right? What is God's response to him? Well, he doesn't get upset with him, does he? He responds with grace. Verse 11 and verse 12, then the Lord said to him, 
Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Moses, your, your speech problems, your poor public speaking, these things cannot hinder my plan to do my will through your life. Your problems cannot restrain my power. Your difficulties cannot stand, stop my redemptive plan for my people. I made you, I made your tongue, I am who I am. Trust me, I will be with your mouth, I will help you know what to speak. I will equip you to do what I have called you to do. It's very, very similar to what Jesus says to his own disciples in Matthew 10. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how you to respond or what to say. In that hour you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. The point is this, Moses and all of you disciples of Jesus. Are you weak? Yeah, but so what? Do you have problems and deficiencies and inabilities and hindrances? So what? Maybe you're not a great public speaker. Maybe you trip over your words and get stuck on pronunciation. Maybe you're not the cream of the crop. Maybe you're not the best. So what? Take your eyes off yourself and put your eyes on God. Fix your eyes on God. Scripture is literally, scripture is literally just a litany of unqualified saints doing the good works that God has prepared in advance for them to do. So you don't think you're qualified. Well, you know what, you're not. You're not qualified. So what? You think you're good for nothing. Well, the good news is, is that on your own it's true. You're good for nothing. So what? Remember who you're speaking with. Remember the God that you serve. You're speaking with Yahweh. You're speaking with the Lord, the Creator, the Lord who fills us with his Holy Spirit and who does not call the equipped but equips the called. Remember that. God equipped the poor speaker Moses and he used him to bring his people out of, the, out of Egypt and then write five books of the Old Testament. And God equipped the bumbling, the bumbling disciples and they changed the world with the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ and wrote the New Testament. And God will equip you to do what he has planned for you to do. God will equip you to do what he has planned for you to do because his grace is sufficient and is made perfect in your weakness. So remember that. Remember that by grace through faith, we're saved from our sin and misery, but we're also saved for something. This is a big theme in the book of, in the book of Exodus. We're not just saved from something, we're saved for something. Ephesians chapter two, which we read, says that we are saved for the doing of the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. So think about that. God prepared in advance the work of leading his people out of Egypt. And then he chose Moses to do that work. And he called Moses and equipped him to do the work that he had prepared for Moses to do in advance. And the same is true for all of you. And the same is true for me. God in his grace has prepared good works for each one of you believers to do. God has good works prepared in advance for you to do.
and he's going to equip you to do them because that's what his grace does. And you see, what, what good works are those? Well, how about all of the good works mentioned in scripture? All of the things he has revealed to us in his holy word. All those that you will have the opportunity to have right where God has placed you in, your, in his providence. So when you're faced with challenges and with difficulties, when you're faced with opportunities, stop making excuses. I wonder, for instance, if there are men and women here this morning who could become missionaries in far off distant lands or close by planting churches. Don't right away say, well, I could never do that. That's, I'm just not that kind of person. Don't run quickly to your excuses. I'm not saying that everybody has to go off and become a missionary, not at all. But don't hide behind your excuses like Moses. Don't worry so much about what your current ability looks like. Pray about it. Speak to your sovereign Lord and remember that he doesn't call the equipped, but he equips the called. Moses' third excuse is what? Verse 13. Oh, my Lord, please send somebody else. It's barely an excuse. He's sort of in desperation now. He really does not want to go. He really doesn't want to go. Oh, Lord, please choose someone else. Maybe he's afraid. We don't know. Interestingly, he doesn't use the word Lord as in Yahweh, but he just uses Lord as in Lord, Prince, Lord. And then we read, what's God's response? The anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. It's a little bit like when your kid comes down for the third time from bed with another excuse, and you're like, all right, come on, that's enough. Right? You get frustrated with it. And so you kind of would expect, it says, the, the anger of the Lord's kindled, and so you, you expect to then read that God's going to be like, he's going to hammer him one, that there's going to be threats or punishment or, or you know, a guilt trip, because God gets upset at disobedience. But that's not what we find. Instead, God shows him grace again. Because God is upset at disobedience. But he also understands that sometimes under disobedience, there's fear. And God responds to fear by encouraging us with his grace. So he shows grace to Moses. And how does he do that? He encourages him by saying, I'll give you a wingman. I'm gonna give you your brother Aaron. He's gonna help you. Aaron, he can speak well, you can go as a team, take your staff, you can do it, Moses, go together with Aaron. It's another example of how God doesn't call the equipped, but he equips the called. And sometimes I wonder if, if we get afraid and we make up excuses in the Christian life because we forget or, 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 or because we, we are too individualistic when we think about our faith life. We forget that one of the ways that the Lord equips us to do the task that he has presented to us is by giving us a family, a church family around us to help us. Because the Christian life is not about you and God. It's about you in the church of Christ and God. So we, we value independence a lot in our culture. I can do it myself, myself. But not everything in your life has to be done yourself. It's okay to need your brothers and sisters to help you. And you might think, well, getting help is a sign of weakness. That's sort of the narrative that our culture tells us. Getting help is a sign of weakness. 
Which I guess is true, isn't it? You can just admit, yep, I'm weak and I need help. Just admit it already. And when you do that, then you begin to see that the help of the church of Christ is one of the ways that the Lord equips you to do what he calls you to do in his word. He gives you help for your brothers and sisters. So this, this past week, we got uh, an email from our brother and sister Chris and Charlene about the fact that their foster baby Jax has now moved on to another family closer to his birth mom. And in their email, they wrote, we can't imagine doing it without our church family. Well, you shouldn't have to imagine doing anything without your church family. The only way that you can live the Christian life is when you're surrounded by your church family. So don't frustrate the Lord with your excuses. Accept his help also through the church, the help and the encouragement of your brothers and sisters along the way. So that brings us to the end of Moses' excuses. Now he's gonna go. So he goes to Jethro, his father-in-law, gets his blessing. The Lord gives him some further instructions to encourage him in verse 21 through 23, telling him how the Lord is sovereign, the Lord's gonna work things out, encouraging Moses to rely on his almighty power. And in Exodus 4, verse, verse 19, we read, your enemies are dead, you can return to Egypt. In other words, the Lord is equipping Moses to do the works that he's planned out in advance at just the right time, the Lord in his sovereign will is orchestrating this at just the right time. The enemies that are seeking Moses' death are now themselves dead. God's in control. He's running this according to his timing, not Moses' timing, like he's running your life according to his timing, not your timing. And it's very interesting, for instance, that those same words, your enemies are dead, you can return to Egypt, are almost the exact same words that we find in Matthew 2, verse 20, where God says to Joseph and Mary, your enemies are dead, you can now leave Egypt. Almost exactly the same. In God's sovereign control and timing, he brings Moses to Egypt to save his people, and in God's sovereign control and timing, he later brings Mary and Joseph and Jesus out of Egypt so that Jesus might save his people. It's an encouraging picture of God's control, his sovereignty, making sure that his redemptive plan comes to fruition in history. It's an encouraging picture of God helping Moses, helping Joseph and Mary to do the works that he has prepared for them in advance because he does not call the equipped, he equips the called. And then we get to the part of the chapter, verse 24 to 26. It's this strange story where God is coming to kill Moses and Zipporah saves the day by circumcising their son. It's, it's a very odd story, isn't it? At the lodging place along the way, the Lord met him and sought and put, to put him to death. And Zipporah took the flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Now, I read a lot of commentaries this week about what that means, and the general conclusion is, is that nobody is quite sure what's going on here. <laughs> we do know that in Genesis 17, the Lord commanded all of the covenant children to be circumcised, and that disobedience to that command, if you didn't circumcise your son, that was seen as rebellion against God, that you didn't care about God, and so that, that was punishable by death. That was, that was seen as a rebellion against God. So, it appears that for whatever reason, Moses has not circumcised his son. And we're not quite sure why. Maybe it was because the Midianites didn't practice circumcision and he's been out in the desert for a long time. For whatever reason, he hasn't done that. And so he's in disobedience to the Lord. 
And so the Lord is coming to, to punish him for that, and somehow the Lord has made this known to Zipporah, and so Zipporah saves the day by circumcising, circumcising her son. So Zipporah, her name gets added to the names of the midwives and uh, the mother of Moses and the sister of Moses and Pharaoh's daughter, these, these women in the beginning of the book of Exodus that continue to do the saving work of God. And then she touches the foreskin on, well, on whose feet? In the ESV it says Moses' feet, but that's just an interpretation. Your footnote will probably say that. In Hebrew it just says his feet. So it could be Moses' feet or it could be the child's feet. It's not clear. And then to make things even more confusing, the word feet here can mean actual feet or feet are also used in scripture as a euphemism for genitalia. So it could be that she touches the foreskin on Moses' feet or on her son's genitalia at the moment of circumcision and then she says these mysterious words, you are a bridegroom of blood to me, although also the word bridegroom could just be translated relative, it could mean you are a relative of blood to me, and so the whole thing is rather confusing and mysterious. Basically, you seem to have two options here. Is Zipporah saving the day and then giving Moses an angry message? Your bridegroom of blood to me, throwing the foreskin at his feet. Or is she simply repeating the words, you are a relative of blood to me, as she circumcises her son in a, in a regular circumcision ritual of some sort. We don't really know. What we do know is this, Moses' sin almost causes his death at the hands of God, but that he is saved through the circumcision, saved by his wife's obedience to the sign of God's covenant promises to forgive sin. And so in the middle of the mystery of these verses and all of its unanswered questions, we're reminded of this, it's not just that God calls the ill-equipped to do his work. It's that God calls sinners to do his work. Sinners like Moses, and like all of you and like me. That God prepares work in advance for sinners to do. And then not only does he provide by his power and words to equip us in our weakness so that we can do that good work that he's prepared for us. But even before that, before we do the works he prepares for us, he saves us from our sins by his shed blood, which is what circumcision was pointed to. The blood not of Moses' son, but the blood of God's own son. He saves you by the shed blood of Christ, and then from that grace, flows the further grace of equipping you to do the works that he has prepared for you in advance to do. And so Exodus 4 highlights this spiritual reality. The whole book of Exodus is not just about saving people from Egypt. The reality is that the people and Moses himself need saving from themselves. They need saving from their own sin and weakness, saving from their own excuses, saving from the judgment of God, and God does all of it in his grace because by grace through faith you have been saved, and this is not your own doing, is it? It's a gift from God, not a result of works that no one can boast. For were his workmanship, the people of God since the beginning of, uh, of Exodus have been God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And then the rest of the chapter just ends sort of really quickly. You don't get a whole lot of detail. They go to Egypt, they speak to the people, God's right, the people believe, all the excuses are shown to be useless. And then the last verse is really quite beautiful, isn't it? Last verse says this, and the people believed 
And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. So what happens when you trust that God does not call the equipped but equips the called? What happens when you trust that God in his grace forgives you of your sins by the blood of Christ and gives you his spirit and empowers you to do the good works he's prepared for you in advance? What happens is this. God's will is done. He uses you for his purposes. And in the end, he is worshipped. In the end, he is worshipped. There's no boasting. There's no horn blowing. There's just recognition that we, like Moses and the people of God, are jars of clay carrying the treasure of the Lord to show his surpassing power. But it all is God's grace. And the people believe they bowed their heads and worshipped. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, stop making excuses for not doing what is right. The Lord knows your fears and he knows your concerns. Trust that the Lord your God, the great I am, does not call the equipped but equips the called and that he will prepare you to do his work that he has prepared in advance for you to do, working through your weakness. So stand firm in the Lord Jesus Christ, the strength of his might, not in the strength of your resume. Go out into the world and do the good works that God has given you to do. May he make all of you like Moses to the people of God. And then when you see the Lord working through your weakness for his glory, well then bow your head and worship him. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, Father in heaven, we praise you for calling us in your irresistible grace to be your children and for calling us to live godly, beautiful lives, giving you all the glory and working for the good of our neighbor. Lord Jesus, we worship you for saving us through your shed blood, for paying for our sins, for setting us free from the power of the devil. We worship you. We thank you for equipping us in your grace to do the good works you've prepared for us to do. So Holy Spirit, hear our prayer this morning. Make us today heartily willing and ready from now on to live for Jesus according to his word. Make us heartily willing and ready to stop our excuses. Trust that you do not call the equipped, but that you call, equip the called. In your name we pray, amen.